Good morning, church. Sometimes uh, technology is wonderful, huh? Other days, it is a disaster. (laughs) It sucks life from you. Uh, This morning is one of those mornings. I want to just ask God to, to help us. Let's pray one more time together. Father, this morning... Um, there, are, there are challenges, and yet, God, we recognize that so often when challenges are coming, it's because uh, there's, there's some warfare. There's things that we need to hear today that the enemy doesn't want us to hear. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you would break through all the distraction. You work in and through your word to transform us. Father, I am... Uh, I'm weak, and I ask that you would speak through me now by the power of your spirit. You love to shine in weakness. That's when your strength is most put on display is in our weakness. So God, would you work through me, your servant? I'm, I'm weak, so help and teach us all and change us, God. Put yourself on display, your beauty, your glory, your goodness right now as we open your word together. Pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, I also uh, yeah, had an issue with the printer, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read off my laptop, work here. Actually, it's Scott's laptop because we're using my laptop up in the, in the uh, balcony there. Let me start out with a question. What is good? What is evil? And why is it that, that people answer that question, those questions, so differently in the world right now? One person looks at one action and says, that's, that's good. While another group of people say, no, that's evil. It seems like never before that we, we are confused about what is good and evil in this world. Instead of the beauty, you know, that, that phrase, beauty being in the eye of the beholder, it seems that it's now good and evil is in the eye of the beholder. Right? right now in our culture, there is this belief that has taken root that the ultimate good for humanity is to live authentically. And authentic living, it is said, cannot be defined by anyone but you. You yourself are the definer of reality. You decide what is good. You decide what is evil. And actually, if someone pushes back against what you say is good or evil, you are committing the great evil in our culture. Where does God fit into all this, you may ask? He really doesn't. You see, because when you take this place where you determine what is good and right and you are totally autonomous and you create your sense of Reality and who you are, you are taking the place of God. The self has become God. And this is an idea that's being championed in our world in every sphere of society. It's infecting the the young and the old. It's it's infecting men and women. And church, it even seeps its way in here. It tries to, right? Surprisingly, when you come to the story of God, you find that this, this idea that is so prevalent in our culture is not new. It's not new at all. You know, in fact, rooted in this, this story that we've been getting into in the book of Genesis, you're going you're gonna to find that there's a, there's a root and, it, and it's all around, centered around these two 
trees in the garden. If we're going to understand the mess that we're in right now in the world, we need to understand something about trees. And I'm not just talking about any tree in the world, but two specific trees that God planted in the middle of the garden. And these trees are going to show us something very important. It's going to show us something about the fundamental makings of a relationship with God. Which hinges on a daily choice, a choice of life and death. And I'm going to finish answering, trying to answer the question, what hope is there for a sinner who chose death? So just a little bit of context for you. So far in the story, we've seen that, that God is a, is a creator and an artist. And he created all things out of nothing with a simple word. He spoke Then God created the pinnacle of creation, mankind in his image, male and female. He created them to put his glory on display as they were fruitful and multiply and filled the earth, spreading God's glory out from the Garden of Eden all over the earth. And today we'll take a step back as we look at the two trees. This is even before the woman was created. And we're going to focus on the trees and the first command given to the man. So. Open your Bibles, if you haven't already, to verse 15. There is so much here, and we need to unpack these couple verses carefully. So it says, verse 15, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So I want you to notice, first of all, that God's personal name, Yahweh, is used here, signified by this, this word, Lord, in all caps. And that's important because chapter one of Genesis only used Elohim for God. But here in chapter two, beginning in verse five, it's not just using Elohim, which we translate as God, but also Lord God, which is really in Hebrew, Yahweh Elohim, which I think brings an intimacy to the story. It brings something it brings something to to bear here. And I think what, what the intimacy that we see is, is that it's not just some unknown, unseen God, but this is the personal God who had revealed himself by name to Israel. This is the one who is intricately involved in creation. He's not some distant, far off one, but one that is wanting to make himself known. He wants to be named. He wants people to see that he is working. He's near. He's forming, breathing life, planting, watering, and now speaking with man. Having a conversation with man. Pursuing conversation. Friends, hear this again. Our God is not a distant God, but one who is near. And we're going to see is developing relationship with his creation, with mankind. Secondly, as you look at verse 15, we see the reason for them being placed in the garden. There's two, two reasons. It says to work and keep the garden. Now, Ross did a great job unpacking work a couple weeks ago and showing how that's an intricate part of our worship. Work and worship are very much combined as part of what we do. But I want to highlight the second task here to keep the garden. And I think this is significant because I think we often, when we read work and keep, we just kind of see those as synonymous words. We we pass over it quickly and we don't realize that something more is going on here in in this word keep. In fact, if if you did a word study 
on that word keep in Hebrew, you come to find that it can be translated in some English translations do this. They translate it watch over or guard. So there's work and then there's guard. So it's not just about pulling weeds here. It's not just a a task of cultivating a garden. No, there's something more. He was to carefully guard the garden from being tainted. He was to be a watchman over this, this place that God has made, which is really a picture of a temple. God in relationship with man and mankind is tasked with guarding that. Why is that so important? Because man's task to work and keep the garden was much bigger than pulling weeds. It is as much spiritual as it was physical. This is not just gardening. It's not just pulling weeds. This is all showing us something about relationship with God. What Adam didn't know at this point was that there was a serpent who had rebelled against God. We'll learn more about that next week. Pastor Sam is going to unpack more of that. But God was tasking Adam to guard himself and this garden from the evil that will attempt to enter in. And I bring this up because if we're going to grasp the purpose of God's singular boundary in the garden, if we're going to grasp the purpose of him placing a tree that is, that is a boundary for us, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we need to understand this task of keeping. This is, this is crucial if we're going to grasp the reality that everything we do in this life, whether eating or drinking, working or playing, is a matter of worship. Whatever we do is a matter of worship. All of life lived before the face of God and in relationship to him. So now I want us to look at verse 16. Let's dive a little bit deeper where we'll see the fundamentals of a relationship with God. It says there, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden of Eden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Church, I want you to first see that this relationship, the first tenet of this relationship is that it's built on blessing, on freedom, on joy. So before God gives the stipulation, he reminds them, the earth is yours, the tree is yours. All the trees of this garden are yours to eat from. Eat freely. First, he had given them a blessing. In the first uh, conversation that he has with them, he says, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over all the creatures. So in that first uh, thing that he says to mankind, he's giving a blessing. He's saying it's all yours. And now here he's reminding them again, it's all yours. Enjoy. Take, eat. Why is this so important? It's, it's important because our fallen nature so quickly goes to the stipulation, don't we? We so quickly go, I don't like that I can't do that, God. I don't like that you're restricting me from eating from that tree. But when you take your eyes off the restriction for one moment, you find in these words a God who is welcoming you to abundant life. Do you hear that? He's welcoming you to abundant life and joy in him. Let me ask you, married men, 
when you came to the altar and stared your wife in the eyes, were you thinking to yourself, oh, she's restricting me? Right? Was that... I hope not. I think... I think, no, I think... I think you were standing there. You, yes, you recognize this is, this is me saying no to every other women, woman on the face of the earth. But I could give no care about any of the other girls. This girl is everything to me. This is my, I, she is the world. I'm rich to have her. That's what you're thinking as you enter into that covenant with your wife. It's not one that stirs you to say, oh, what a stingy woman. But but one that says, oh, my goodness, I can't believe she's giving herself and all that means to me. Such is a relationship with God. He wants us to recognize that he comes with joy, with blessing. The relationship is first built on that, on that place of joy and freedom in the relationship. I was overcome thinking about that this week. Such is our relationship with God. So if we only understood this, if we only understood that God is not a killjoy out to restrict you and slap your hand for having fun, but a generous God who's saying, take and eat, enjoy the world, enjoy intimacy with your spouse, enjoy good food, enjoy work and play and building. Friends, it changes the way we think about our relationship with God. He's inviting us to abundant life. And all of that is pointing to his goodness, his generosity. Isn't it? couldn't be more generous. I just ask you this morning, is that how you view God? When you think of your relationship with God, is it is that he's he's taking from you, he's restricting pleasure from you? Or do you see it as the world is yours? No one take eat enjoy. Is that what he is that is that what it's like for you when you think of God? The tree of life is a further proof of what I'm saying here. Verse 9 tells us that there was another tree in the middle of the garden. So we're going to dive in deep on the the knowledge of the tree, uh, or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But but there's also this tree of life. And you know, when God invites them to eat from any tree in the garden, he's also inviting them to eat from the tree of life. And what is the tree of life? It's, It's a... It's a tree that, that is a picture of, of eternal life. If they, if they have access to this tree and they eat from this tree, they get to keep on living eternally. It's symbolic, I believe, for God's life-giving, joy-giving presence. If you're in relationship with God, that means you have access to the tree of life. It means you have access to life. This is even what we see in, in Revelation when all things are restored by God. We're, we're, we're told that the tree of life is, is brought back and we get to eat from it again. From the throne of God flows a river and on each side of the river is the tree of life for the taking. This is symbolic of the life that comes 
with having relationship with God. Again, I'm just trying to point out that our relationship with God is first built on not life. I mean, not on restriction, but on life. So another fundamental reality of relationship with God comes in the rest of verse 17. I want us to look at that again. It says, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. You hear, church, there's something important to learn about covenants in the Bible. As the story of the Bible progresses, we learn that laws are essential parts of covenants. A covenant is essentially a loving relationship with some firm boundaries that have the goal of intimacy. You could think of a marriage covenant. We've been talking about that. When you make vows to another, we vow our lives, our love, and all our possessions to the other. But there's also a stipulation. And that stipulation is one that invites intimacy. If, if the stipulation is not there, you and you alone in this marriage, then you can't have the same sort of intimacy. When you say, to death do us part, until death do us part, I will eat alone from your garden. I will alone be devoted to you. You are seeking intimacy with the other. The boundary provides intimacy and God is aiming for nothing less here. So he he sets up a boundary and the boundary is inviting covenant loyalty. It's inviting exclusive devotion to God. And where I've made the analogy of of a marriage here, this is this is where we need to depart from that analogy, because there's a difference between our relationship with our spouse, which is is totally on equal ground and our relationship with God. You see, God is the one who writes the laws of space and time. He is the one who speaks and all things obey his authority. He's the one who formed us from the dust of the earth. Friends, God is the potter and we are the clay. And this God gave a command to the man when he says there is one tree which you may not eat. God is establishing his lordship over man. He's establishing his lordship in the relationship. He's saying this. He's saying, I get to be the definer of good and evil. I get to show you what true reality is. I get to show you what life is. If he is Lord, then that means that we must obey him. So a second tenet of our, our, our fundamental tenet of relationship with God is his authority and, and lordship over us. In our submission and obedience in all things. And I, I think, again, I just want to emphasize it's so quick. Our minds so quickly when we think, okay, he's just a power grab. He's just a restrictor. Why does God have to, have to, to be like that? I just want to remind you of, of some of the, the, the benefits of this command. So that we don't go there, okay? So what are some benefits? First, God's creation of this tree 
It was providing an opportunity for humans to worship. How did they worship? They worshiped by every time they were before the tree, they had an opportunity to say, I, I don't need that, that other thing. God, you're enough. Every single time they were before this tree, which was right in the middle of the garden, they would have seen it regularly as they're going to and fro in the garden. Every single day, they have an opportunity to display their love for God. Many have asked the question, why did he put this tree there? It seems like he's just setting people up for failure. But I think it's, it's beautiful, actually, what God has done there. I believe that we can only conclude that by placing the tree in the garden and allowing this potential for unfaithfulness to him, God is showing us the kind of relationship he's interested in having with us, namely one that is built on free trust. In, in putting forward this tree, we need to get this. God was showing us the kind of relationship that he wanted with him. God was more concerned that our relationship with him was built on an ever-increasing trust in his goodness and his character than he was in providing a sheltered robotic environment where there was no other option. So this tree provides an opportunity for humans to display their devotion, their love to God on a daily basis. Great reformer Martin Luther said something similar when he, he says that Adam daily before the tree had the opportunity to, quote, yield to God the obedience he owed, to give recognition to the word and will of God, to give thanks to God and to call upon God for aid against temptation, end quote. Every single day, he had the opportunity to display his love for God, his trust in God. And this is God's gift to us. Do you hear that? That is a gift to you. That your relationship is built that way and not otherwise. God is not a stingy or withholding God, even in this restriction. He is a God who wants intimacy with us. He wants real relationship with us. That is amazing. There's something about eating the tree, eating from the tree, that is more than just about gaining an understanding of what good and evil is. It's not just that if they ate, they're all of a sudden going to understand, oh, there's good and evil in the world. No, it's so much more than that. To choose to eat from the knowledge of good and evil is to choose to say, I get to choose what is good and evil. It is to be the definer of true reality. It is to become the judge, to become the Lord, to become God. I said earlier that the chief virtue of our culture to be whoever you fashion yourself to be without restraint is rooted in this story. And here we see it. Here's what I mean. That the, true, that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is representing the choice every human has to either let God be God, defining what is good and evil, or to ourselves take the role of God by defining good and evil. So when we eat 
When the man was, w- would eat from the tree, he is, he's choosing to pursue independence from God. He's saying, I don't need relationship with you. I don't need you to call the shots. I want to call the shots. And friends, in every time that we sin, we are figuratively taking from that tree and eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We're saying, I choose independence from God. So we've seen why the tree is there, one of the, the great benefits of the tree and, and what it is to eat from the tree. But let's focus now on what happens if they eat from the tree. Look at verse 17, right in the, the end of verse 17. God said to the man, for in the day that you eat of it, what does it say? You shall surely die. Now sin boasts freedom from restraint, doesn't it? It boasts that you get to be independent and autonomous and that that's a good thing. But in fact, friends, it's not freedom. It's only a path of slavery and a path of death. And why is sin a path of death? Well, if God is the source of life, to be in relationship with God is to have access to the tree of life where you will live forever then to sin, to choose independence from God, is therefore to lose access to life. It's to destroy life. A choice to be independent from God is nothing more than a choice to die. So when God speaks this command, he's, he's again, he's not restricting, but inviting to life. He says, if you eat from this, you're going to die. There's a choice for you. If you stay with me, you live. So God's restriction is really an invitation to freedom. It's an invitation to life. Satan is doing everything. We'll learn next week. He's doing everything he can to get man to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because he doesn't want man to be in relationship with God. He wants death for them. God is not a stingy God, church. Though he does not always disclose everything to us like we may want him to, though he doesn't always give stuff to us the way that we want, when we want it, it's for a good purpose. If he says, no, you can't have this right now, it's because he knows best. He loves us. And friends, as we wait on him patiently with trust, as we choose daily to say, I believe that what you're saying is good. I believe that what you're saying is right. I want to believe that that is, a, that is life for me to obey you in this situation. Friends, our relationship with God just deepens and matures and grows. We grow in joy and obedience. But when we take matters into our own hands, on the other hand, we find ourselves being broken from relationship with God and on a path of death. So I want to I bring some application here in the closing minutes that 
I believe some of you are today toying with sin and flirting with the idea that you really could be happier choosing your own path. Isn't that daily our, our battle? They, we constantly look at the thing before us or even a temptation to, to sinful fear or a temptation to try to take control and, and get anxious. So some of these more subtle things even. In those moments, we believe I'm better off if I just take control emotionally or I'm better off if I just do this thing that I want If I just pursue the pleasure, I pursue the thing that I want, I take it now, God is holding out on me. And this this lie we believe every single day. We believe that God is withholding from us. But I just want to charge you, some of you need to stop entertaining the idea that you'll be better off if you just take the easier road and do what you want. Instead, I want to invite you to look the temptation in the face and I want you to say to God, God, I believe you're better than that. I believe your path is better than that. I believe that what you're saying no to means that you're saying yes to something greater, to something more. I hope this is landing on you, that there's something that you have in mind that that is so often your temptation. I think humans often have, we we all have various Temptations are things that we're drawn towards. Various sins that capture our heart. And I hope that right now you're thinking of those things. And, and as I'm speaking that you're, you're hearing this. And, and God is strengthening your heart and giving you resolve to say yes to God and no to these temptations. Friends, every time that we, we, we look temptation in the face and say, no, God is better. Do you realize that, that God is moved by love? He's, uh, he's glorified in that moment. Because the moment that we say, God is better than this. His glory is put on display. And we gain joy. I imagine he lights up, similarly to, to some of the women in here. When your husband brings uh, flowers or writes a, a letter that says, I am yours and you are mine. I imagine God lights up every single time we say no to sin and yes to God. So God has set up boundaries for us. That's what's signified in this boundary of the tree. And he has told mankind, he said, there's certain things that please me. There's certain things that make me happy. And there are other things that I, that I hate. And what he hates, friends, is when we try to take Take away from him his position. And we try to take that position ourselves. When we try to say, I'm better off. I claim independence from God. I'm going to do what I want when I want it. Well, next week we're going to hear the tragic news that Adam and Eve were deceived. And they gave into this lie. And now... Friends, every single one of us follow suit. Every single one of us have taken, we've reached out and taken from the tree and claimed independence from God and eaten from that tree. What that means is that every single one of us are under condemnation and are on a path of death. 
separated from God. Our relationship with God was severed. Spiritually. Spiritually, we died when our relationship with God was severed. And the ultimate result when we are separated from the source of life is that we will physically die. Every single one of us. And we will suffer eternally apart from God in a place he calls hell. This is the reality right now, today. Every single one of us have turned away from God. Every single one. The Bible is explicitly clear about this. But I want you to hear the good news from Romans chapter 5, verse 12. It says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. But now listen to this. When we were utterly helpless in that sin and in that death, Christ came at just the right time and died for us, or instead of us, sinners, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Church, all of us are under the condemnation of death. All of us were under that condemnation. Every single one in here who is bro- has a broken relationship with God is under condemnation. But here God has said to us, he has made a way for us to be brought back into relationship with God. He has made a way for us to have again the access to life. And that is through Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Jesus was the only human who ever lived a perfect life before the Lord. Every single day, he had the opportunity, just like us, to choose life or death. And he chose life. He chose relationship with God. He chose to be submissive to his father in every single scenario, even to the point of death. And what his righteous living did for us is that when he died on the cross on another tree that day, he was paving the way for us to have life. His death was for us. His death was for anyone who put faith in him. And the promise is that his righteousness, his record, his life becomes yours. If you're trusting in Jesus, this is the gospel that Christians have held fast to for centuries. The promised that Jesus provides us life. Main thing I want you to take away from this sermon today, it's a simple point, is that all of us have chosen death, but Jesus is the answer. All of us have chosen death, but Jesus is the way to life. The choice is yours today. Which tree will you eat from? I want you to consider that this week. I want you to keep these trees in mind as you live this week? Will you choose to trust God in that moment when temptation is before you? That he is good. He's not stingy, but he's holding out for you life. Will you choose to cling to that reality or will you say, no, it's better for me to choose what is good and evil. It's better for me to be independent from God. I'm going to ask you, which tree 
have you been eating from lately? Are you eating from the tree of life or are you eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil choosing for yourself? If you've been eating from that tree of knowledge of good and evil, I just want to call you. All of us humans here under the same rules, under the same reality that God has created for you. Give back the reins to the rightful owner. Let him determine what is good and evil. Let him be God. The choice is ours today, life or death. In just a few minutes, we're going to get to watch a baptism. And in this baptism, we get to celebrate a man that is passing from death to life. The reality is that Eric deserves death like we've been talking about today. And yet in claiming Jesus, in holding fast to Jesus, he's going to have life. The old man is going to go down into that water, signifying death. He's united to Christ who died that death for him on the cross. And when he comes up out of the water, it's signifying Christ's resurrection and Eric's eternal life. So in just a moment, we're going to celebrate that. I want to invite you to stand as we pray together in worship. Father, this is a simple word, but one that is impossible for us. Every day I find myself in some way or another choosing in thought, word, or deed to not believe that you are who you say you are. And here we are, God, saying together, We need you. And we rightfully deserve death. But Lord, we also rejoice today because you gave us Jesus. And you died for us, Lord Jesus, that we might have life and life eternal. And God, I do ask today that every single one of us this week would consider this great reality. And that as we look to Jesus, our Savior, who died on another tree, that we might have life. That we would have power to overcome sin and Satan. Help us, Lord, to know how good you are. You're not a withholding God, but you're one who offers life for all of us. Help us to rejoice in that truth now as we sing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.